I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Relch will inbound, and that'll do it. What a surprise. Oregon State is going to the regional finals. That's what it sounded like. The NCAA broadcast of the tournament. I assume it was Westwood 1. They're doing all the tournament action. Loyola went down to Oregon State. 58 to 65. Ramblers lost to the Beavers in a game where we had seen Loyola in postseason play in tournament action, at least at times in recent memory, where they're frequently the underdog or the lower seed. And we, we saw them have to attempt to handle being the favorite, being the higher seed. And they just weren't able to, uh, to get it done against Oregon State. So the Beavers advanced there. Ramblers come on home to Chicago and the man who covered it well as he does all things for the Chicago Sun-Times. Steve Greenberg on our guest line right now. I would certainly like to remind you the score hotline is presented by Alpamonte Ford. Alpamonte Ford and Melrose Park on North Avenue or apford.com. And Steve, I feel like we're old friends because I was able to have a, a very detailed discussion with you while I was strolling through Jewel shopping a, a few weeks back about Illini football and Brett Bielema. So it is nice to be able to get you on the score airwaves here. How you doing? I don't have enough friends to turn you down. Let's, <laughs> let's, I'm in. I'm all in. And I'm fine. How are you? I'm good, man. Really appreciate you joining me here. Steve is on Twitter at SL Greenberg. And um, there's one thing I'm going to come back to later because I'd love to get your thoughts on a a topic I kind of put out there earlier, just like springtime, just kind of has me feeling hopeful about a number of different things. I'll, I'll be curious for your thought on which sports team here in Chicago, which professional sports team, let's say, is is worthy of being most hopeful about. But I don't want to start there. I've really had you initially on as the first guest for the four hours I was here today before some NFL news broke, where I definitely wanted to get your thoughts on Loyola and what we saw from the Ramblers throughout this tournament run and where things sit. So let's start specifically just with the discussion of of yesterday's game. Was this an indication that, you know, where like myself and others had been complaining that Loyola was seated too low, then here they are as the eighth seed where they're facing the 12th seeded Beavers. Did this indicate maybe they, they were seated just right because they didn't come up with that elite eight berth? I don't think that you can really infer either of those, those things from the way one tournament game plays out. I mean, it, we, we, we all get suckered into narratives every year uh, with the tournament, but the reality is by the time you win two games in the tournament, Every team's playing well. Every team can beat you. It doesn't matter who you are. And so, you know, if you're Loyola, you're still Loyola. You're a bunch of guys who were recruited to and signed with a mid-major and really, you know, developed and coalesced and became a strong team. 
But if you're not hitting your shots, you're in trouble. And so Loyola missed a bunch of shots, and that's that. You know, and everybody has to remember the context in which we view Loyola as a postseason program. You know, it's great and it's wonderful, and 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 they've earned every inch that they've gained. But they won on a last second shot in their first game in the tournament in 2018, and then did it again in the second game. So it could have ended quickly then too. And if it had, you know, we're not even viewing Loyola in, in any, in any sort of way as we do now. And, and so this was a really good team. They defend, you know, you saw how well they defend. You saw it yesterday. You know, they play as hard as anybody, you know, they're together. And, and when you miss shots, you can lose to anybody just like they lost, you know, a couple times in the in the Valley, in the Missouri Valley Conference, to teams that we wouldn't think, how can they play with a, a Loyola that we're looking at as a potential Final Four team this year? So, it's it, you know, I said before the game, there's nothing surprising that could happen in, in the win department or the lose department. It could go either way, and uh, Oregon State's hot. And so they won. I mean, I, you know, this is what happens. It's no surprise whatsoever to me. Not a... Certainly not an indication that Loyola was overseeded. Steve Greenberg of the Sun-Times here with me on the score. And Lucas Williamson, Cameron Crutwig, I mean, these are guys who who were a part of that that run to the Final Four that we're discussing from a few seasons back. For for their their degree of talent, you know, Crutwig, we saw him match up with Kofi Coburn in the the second round game, and he outplayed Kofi while the physical – capabilities aren't quite at at that level but what really struck me in the game versus Illinois was that it looked like Porter Moser very much outcoached Brad Underwood which really caught me off guard there so from a coaching perspective do we do we see Porter Moser and and how yesterday played out was it mostly about the missed shots you referenced or were there adjustments that perhaps Moser didn't make that that he could have attempted well, it's possible that you you know you don't have the same keys on Oregon State that you have to focus on defensively. So, and the problems really, I, I don't think we're at that end. Guys made difficult one-on-one shots. They made late shot clock shots. They they made mid-range late shot clock shots, which you know isn't even part of basketball anymore. So that's that that was just good. That was good plays made by the Beavers. But offensively, in order to unlock something to get it going, you know I'm. I mean, I'm not a coach. Could they have done more? I'm sure. But they also got a lot of open shots. You know, Williamson, Lucas Williamson, who you mentioned, would tell you that he missed several uh, of the types of threes that he is accustomed to taking and making. And the same is true of Braden Norris and and Keith Clemens and, and the rest. You know, it was just, you know, they didn't get Crutwig going. And, and clearly the defense on Crutwig was different and better than what Illinois did. Brad Underwood just sort of counted on Coburn to uh, handle that, and he never could sort of figure out how to how to contend with Crutwig when, when he was away from the basket, and, and Crutwig uses that as, as Loyola's offensive engine to deliver backdoor passes or to slowly uh, dribble in and post up, and, and then, you know, he's kind of got you because he can go to either hand and drop step, and he's very skilled. Um Oregon State is a more defensive-oriented team as a necessity, you know, than Illinois is. Illinois is, they play hard, both ends, the whole length of the court. They want to get out and run. They want to be disruptive. But I don't think they necessarily 
start at the de- at the defensive end. It's more of like an intensity thing and rise to the challenge. And if you're guarding this guy, you go get him. And that's where it sort of fell apart for Illinois in regard to Crutwig. But, uh, I, you know, I don't know what more Mosier could have really done when the, when the shots aren't falling and, and you're Loyola, you're going to find yourself needing to win an extremely tight game in the Sweet 16, or you're going to lose. And that's just what happened. I'd like to, I'd like to handle the, the Porter-Mosier portion of this discussion in, in two separate quadrants. So I'd like the first quadrant to be where we just assume he's going to continue to be the coach of Loyola. With that in mind, are we, are we seeing things within the program that are indicative of, of staying power, you know, in addition to the obvious results? And, you know, like Cam Crutwig, Crutwig, as skilled as he is, he referenced the touch and being able to finish with either, either hand, and he's such an outstanding passer for a guy of his size, too. He's gone. Williamson's gone. Have they recruited at an enhanced level, aside from just increasing Porter Moser's salary, are, are facilities enhancing? Like, are, are, are we seeing signs of, of staying power or even growth for the program? I, I mean, there, there, there would probably – this is my, my guess, Anthony. I mean, I'm not a recruit, Nick, and I'm, you know, I'm not a Loyola beat writer, but I've mm-hmm. talked to Moser enough during this run, during the last run, and, and, and in between, to know that he thinks the quality of player he's getting is, has risen, presumably could continue to rise. But Loyola, I'm sure, you know, will have to find more money for a coach who makes a little over a million a year and can anticipate offers for a lot more than that. That's a big part of it. Um, you know, we haven't seen the – It'll be great to see the effects of Loyola's success when when arenas open back up and fans are back. Yeah. You know, you 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 didn't. It's, it's it's interesting. And Mosier views Chicago through the lens of somebody who's from around here and, and recognizes it as a pro town. So that you know, even after the first Final Four run, things fell off there a little bit. Uh, certainly, the attention did, the media attention, but even the attendance. At uh, at games, you know they weren't always packed, and so it's hard to 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 look at uh, anything that happens for one of these teams as the floor, and then you just build from it because the floor sinks on you when people aren't looking, and that's always been the case with college basketball uh, around here since you know the DePaul dynasty of the of the eighties ebbed, and uh, that's just kind of how it is, and I know that that's something that concerns Porter Mosier, you know, can everything you gain, you don't necessarily keep and build upon. Um, But, you know, I think Loyola's talent level uh, has risen and, uh, and that's not to be, you know, overlooked or taken lightly. You need to, you need to have those players so you can win the Missouri Valley. You need to win the Missouri Valley to get into the tournament. You don't, you know, it's not a two bid league. If, if, if guys like Crutwig, and Lucas Williamson came back, let alone if Porter Mosier came back and, you know, Loyola rolled in the next season as a, as a preseason top 15 team, let's say, top 10 team even, which is what Butler did uh, once or twice when Brad Stevens was there. Mm-hmm. Then you start to look at, at the Valley as a uh, two-bid league because you figure Loyola just needs to maintain and, you know, has a chance at an at-large bid. But if you don't even have that, 
then what you're gaining is so incremental that it almost doesn't matter in the, in the context of, of big-time college basketball. If you need to win your conference tournament to get into the NCAA tournament, then you're just like everybody else in that category. You're not like Gonzaga, let alone the big boys from the big boy leagues, and, and that makes it really tough. And now let, let's expand the discussion specific to Porter Moser then beyond just Loyola because like, like you referenced, he, he's going to have and probably already has had some big offers that are coming in. Indiana, the Hoosiers haven't hired a men's basketball coach yet, so that, that is one prominent job that is open and desperate amongst others where his name will continue to be mentioned until there is just some, there's some, I suppose, stop that's put to it. What, what, do, you, what do you see as the, the potential, the likelihood? He's, like you referenced, a Chicago area guy. He's got passion for this region. He stayed the last time after some other offers came in. Do you think it could go similarly this time, or is it, does it feel more possible that he could move on? I think if you look at the openings, you realize there aren't that many of them, and some of them aren't um, – you know, the, the, the aren't ones where you would draw obvious ties to Mosier. You know, like, for example, Oklahoma's open. Mm. Is, Porter, is Oklahoma going to go after Porter Mosier, and would he be interested? You know, I, I really don't know. I, I mean, they'd have all the money they needed, but, you know, is that something that, that, that uh, would be mutually interesting? If there's, if that's completely unpredictable. Um, Indiana makes a lot of sense to me. There, there are people around Indiana who think that the Hoosiers want, you know, a legacy hire, which always makes me laugh that, you know, I mean, I, maybe it's because I, you know, somebody who was not a college athlete, I, I don't understand why that really, really matters. You know, you, you need the right coach to win. And the right coach has arrived at so many places and had nothing to do with that place before he arrived and built giant things. Uh, if Indiana wouldn't look at Porter Mosier, I think that would be foolish. You know, it makes sense to me, but I don't know if, if that'll happen. If it does, I mean, that is the very definition of taking your shot because it's a miserable place to be for a basketball coach. And, has, you know, we've seen that play out with coach after coach in, in recent times. It is, I mean, it's miserable. And that's if you're doing okay. And so, <laughs> you know, he would have to go there, right? And he would have to win the Big Ten. Yeah. You'd have to build a giant, and you know it would be extremely hard. But the question is, is 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 he going to, you know, is he going to give in to to the urge that he may well have that that great competitors do to take that shot to see, you know, can I do it? There's only one way to find out. I would want for him to get that opportunity to go do it. He's earned it. He's been ten years at Loyola. If he gets to take his shot, you know, and 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 goes and and takes it, whatever happens, I think it'll be wonderful for for him. It's it and and so um, you know, if he comes back, it'll be probably because partly you know nothing else developed that he wanted to do, and because he loves it at Loyola, which he does, uh, which he does, and I mean he's got a big family, bunch of bunch of boys at home and and they're all great and happy and this is where they live. So it's not a bad way to go if that's what happens. Um, but yes, I think he's earned the big swing. And uh, so we'll see if that happens. I kind of hope it does. And you touched on something I think is really key 
in in the Moser discussion. Like even, even for me, I'm 41 and I'm not old enough to recall. Like my dad will tell me about you know the times where DePaul was dominant and Loyola was a force. You know, like just here in Chicago, and you get the Chicago guys who go to those schools and just rip it up and deep tournament runs and all that. Yes. And you mentioned how even after the Final Four, things did take a dip, and the media coverage here in the city took a dip related to Loyola. Like, Sister Jean is the biggest star. She's a bigger star than Porter Moser is. So I'm just wondering where, like, national folks will, will talk about Porter Moser through the lens of whether or not he can be Mark Few at Gonzaga or can Loyola right. turn into, like, Wichita State or VCU or something like that. I don't, can it? Or is that just a bridge too far? Somehow Sister Jean went from 98 to 101. <laughs> when did that happen? Right. No. Just overnight. Um, <laughs> right. The the all right. So so here's how I'll answer that. Uh, I think the Gonzaga talk, although I understand it, is is uh, a little over overheated, overexcited. You know, no, they're not going to be Gonzaga. Gonzaga is one of a kind, and has. I mean, you better if you're Loyola, you better win thirty games for a bunch <laughs> of years and then come back and talk to me because. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a long way away. That's the best team in the country. That, that, right. That's not just – they don't just play the best. They have the best players this year. It's and so, Mark so, has been there forever putting those building blocks in place. Right. Uh, exactly. That's exactly right. And he is. You know, he's great. And he was preceded by great. You know, Dan Monson got that thing going in a huge way mm-hmm. before a few even took over. So um, that's, that's, that's just – Different, and it's also different because where it is in Spokane, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's an only game in town mm-hmm. uh, thing, and that is a phenomenon that 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 ex- that can only exist in a place like that. I don't think it can exist in Chicago. So, so to me, what Loyola could be, you know, and this is this is the ceiling, and it's a it's a great one, is is Brad, uh, Brad Stevens Butler program. Five tournaments in six years. It included back-to-back Final Four runs and, in fact, championship game runs. And um, and and they got good enough during that time that there was at least one season, I'm sure, maybe more than one, when they entered the season ranked. I, I want to say tenth, top ten, that ballpark. Loyola is not sniffing that kind of rare air yet. Uh, but could you know he could and um, and so so that's and but- Butler by the way was not in the Big East Butler was in the Horizon League so it was a apples to apples kind of kind of comparison I think so look, that that's what Loyola could potentially look at um, but you mentioned DePaul and Loyola when they had a role in the eighties you know DePaul at that time um, in its best years late 70s, early 80s. I mean, they had players, the likes of which Loyola now is, you know, it's a different planet. So the, the, I don't think you're looking at doing that, and I don't think that sort of thing really can exist anymore, even though Dwayne Peavy, the new AD at DePaul, says it will. I mean, the best players, you know, they, they didn't all go to the same schools uh, that, that weren't in Chicago uh, back then, but that's what they do now. So it's very different. Porter Mosier would have to get, you know, obviously, four-year guys at Loyola, which anybody who goes and plays there is that kind of a player, that kind of a mindset. 
and and win with player development, which means great coaching, and he's clearly that. And so, you know, sure, if he continues there and gets to do what he's doing, he'll continue to to build on this success and and have great success in within that the confines of what's possible at Loyola and I, and in the Missouri Valley. And, and and even still, not to go back, repeat myself, but even still potentially get to that incredibly dicey situation where you've got to win your conference tournament to get into March madness, which is just cruel and awful for, (laughs) for certain programs that are, you know, really, really good and always underserved by the NCAA. All right. I mean, even for Gonzaga, because they've obviously been the best team in the country all season, folks are talking like, should they even just skip their conference tournament? You know, they could catch COVID. They don't need it. It's a one bid league anyway. So, I mean, you know, for Loyola to get to that point, yes, it, it would it would take a while and a whole lot of blocks to be continue to be built. You've been really generous with your time, Steve. I do want to hit you before before we go with that the thing I mentioned at the front end. I was talking about it earlier in the show. Because I'm in a hopeful mood, this portion of the, the sports calendar, a lot out there. The NFL draft's approaching. March Madness is happening. Spring training is ending in baseball. Bulls are wheeling and dealing. Which Which of the professional teams – in town, it is. Is there one that stands out to you as the one worthy of being most hopeful about right now for a Chicago sports fan? Why? Why is the name Andy Dalton dancing in my head throughout the entire time you're asking this? Because he's QB one. That's why you can't get get out of bed in Chicago anymore without ripping on the Bears quarterbacks. So I'm not going to do that. Um, I mean, it's 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 got to be the White Sox, right? I I, I mean, they have everything. Uh, they don't have Eloy, and that, that's a mm. that's a crusher. I, I, and I am I am you know I mean the fans don't get to know these guys, but you know I, I and I don't know if you know Eloy, you probably do. I, I I'm just so down for him. He he yeah. is the most wonderful guy on the Chicago sports scene, in my opinion. Mm. Uh, happy, you know, uh, a positive uh, influence by by way of that happiness on everyone around him, and. He can hit, you know, 40 homers, and you know, he's just got such incredible talent. Yeah. And uh, it's just sad, I, and it hurts that team. But even so, the White Sox are, are going to be so good, uh, not just in, in the lineup, but their pitching uh, it is just really something. I mean, you know, you, you add uh, Lance Lynn to what they've got going on with those with that starting staff and as just – uh, uh, perfect as as Lucas Giolito has looked all spring and 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 the rest of that staff that bullpen the, I mean it could be the best bullpen in the majors and the bullpen winds up in the playoffs being so unbelievably important mm. and we see that it, it just builds every year it becomes more important and the Sox are so stacked back there so I think they've got it all they've got a young uh, spry full of life new manager who. Uh, <laughs> You know, well, just just oozes enthusiasm. Yes, and right. so that's where I'd put my money. <laughs> I like it. Great breakdown. No surprise there, Steve. We have to do this again, man. Really appreciate your time. Okay, thanks. Have a great day. All right, you too. That is Steve Greenberg of the Chicago Sun Times. You can find him on Twitter at sl greenberg. I want to open up the phone lines briefly. We're going to get to uh, my friend Caitlin Sharkey from Fox 32 in just a few minutes. But I do want to hear from some of you out there. And I'll get over to the text line in a moment also just to hear your thoughts on which team 
in the Chicago sports scene, or we got some open lines for a minute, is worthy of being most hopeful about. Because I know, I, you know, between the Tony La Russa hire and the way that went down, and certainly the Alloy injury, and frankly, I mean, even my guy Lawrence Holmes, he didn't feel like they did enough over the offseason anyway. So there is some angst on the South side. So maybe the Sox feel like the obvious answer, but you got some Bulls heat coming in. You know, you got folks really excited about what's happening at the United Center. So I'm just curious. Is it definitively the Sox, or is there another answer for which team worthy of being most hopeful about right now on the Chicago sports scene? 312-644-6767. 312-644-6767. If you want to give me a call and discuss that, like I said, I'll get to the text line on the other side of this timeout as well. And, Sean Anderson, you prepare yourself because I want to know what you think is the correct answer for the team worthy of being most hopeful about on the Chicago professional sports scene. We'll do that next year on The Score. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I want to eliminate much from the discussion of which Chicago, which professional Chicago sports teams do you feel most hopeful about as you evaluate things in the city here? I didn't mention the Chicago Sky. I mean, they've made the playoffs the last couple of seasons, won the Eastern Conference last year. Got Candace Parker on the way in. I mean, there's a lot of media attention and excitement about that. She being from the Chicago area, Naperville, I believe. I don't remember which Naperville High School she went to, but she's coming home. She's coming to Central. All right. Thank you, Sean. So for her. Maybe it's the Chicago Sky. Maybe you're most hopeful about them. Who's the pro sports team in the city here that you feel best about, that you feel most hopeful about? Because I I do. Like we had Steve Greenberg on a moment ago, and he pretty much said after kind of sifting through some things a little bit that the White Sox feel like it it needs to be the answer for where things are at right now. At the same time, though, I think expectations are rightfully the, the, the highest for them. But that seems to add to the angst of how things have gone with their offseason, where you move on from Ricky and you bring in the, as Steve Greenberg said, the young spry Tony La Russa. He's your manager now. You know, a lot of, lot of negative reaction to that. 
The Aloy injury from the other day, obviously a lot of very deep concern about that, as though the roster isn't still stacked. But then also you add in the way the offseason went, the lack of a DH. There's a lot of things that folks are worried about with the White Sox, but it's mainly because the expectations are so high and there has been so much excitement building towards this season where it feels like, all right, this 2021 year is where everyone's been expecting they will be ready to make a run. So, Sean, I don't know. What, what do you think, man? Is, is, it, is it the White Sox? Is that obvious? Or is there another team most ready to be hopeful about? I, I think that the most obvious, yeah, would be the White Sox, just mainly because it, working here for two years now, the only time that a team has ever been relevant in the actual championship discussion has been the Bears um, yeah. in, in 2018. So now having this White Sox team that is going to be in that discussion for a championship and they have all this young blood, I think it has to be uh, the the Sox. But I could hear an argument for the Blackhawks. I mean, no one thinks that they should be this good right now. I think they have, what, 35, 37 points, something like that. Um, and, and you look at the the sky, that, that's, a, that's a decent uh, team as well. But I, I think also the Bulls with this trade of Vucevic, I mean, there's a lot to be excited. So I could see really any team being, uh, a, a, any argument being heard. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of different directions that it could go because, you know, like you, you mentioned, we were talking about earlier in the show, Vucevic has folks feeling ready. And part of that is because you, you see Karnaschovas finally make a big move. You know, he hadn't been on the job very long. And there's been sort of this ongoing chorus of, of, of concern, of evaluation of where things are going to go. Is marketing still going to be here? Is Zach's friendly contract going to be moved elsewhere? Which I'm so glad that they did. And I've been talking for a couple of years on this station about Zach Levine and what he can be, what potential is there. You know, maybe not in the, the Harden, LeBron, you know, Giannis. Maybe he is not the A number one best player in a championship puzzle, but there's only a few guys walking planet Earth that can do what Zach Levine can do and, and frankly does it with a, a very sort of coachable approach to it, very media-friendly, you know. Yes, guy needs to can continue improving on defense, but he seems to have gotten better and become a better player every year he's been in the NBA. So when you add that mentality with that skill and that talent and the approachable sort of demeanor that he seems to have about most things, I, I don't know why an organization would want to move on from where Zach Levine is at, still in his sort of early to mid-20s right now, age-wise as well. Maybe he's not the lone piece you build around, but he is certainly a part of that puzzle. So I'm glad the Bulls are, are recognizing that. So that, there's a lot to be hopeful about with the Bulls. You can make a case that because it's going into the final year, maybe you're hopeful about the Bears as well. There were couple of texters though who had some similar observations in the text zone is brought to you by Rosen Hyundai of Algonquin Save Time shop online at rosenhyundai.com and um, let me see from the 469 our team stink but WNBA team is amazing uh, said no one ever so not exactly fond of the Chicago Sky but also you had the, the 847 Blackhawks all the way very very pleased with what's happening there uh, with the Blackhawks, a surprising start there for a team, I suppose, maybe similar to where the Cubs are. We're trying to figure out, are they rebuilding? Are they not? Uh, the 630 is expecting the White Sox to underachieve. We can only assume that the 630 is a Cubs fan uh, for uh, <laughs> for making sure that they're getting some White Sox heat out there, but who knows? The, the underachieved portion of it, I think it depends on how you look at that with the White Sox, because Pakoda projected them at what, like in the in the mid to upper 80s wins last time I, I was looking at that. So if anything, like if you don't think the White Sox are going to win 80-something games, then 
And I, I really take issue with that. But the underachieved portion of it is really more about the expectations that folks in town have because they're, you know, Pakota says they're going to be 80-something win team. I think they're going to be better than that, even without Eloy. I still expect the White Sox to be a 90-win ball club, but that's just me and how I see the folks on the south side and what they bring to the table. But that is my perspective. Another perspective on the way here of reference, we're going to have Caitlin Sharkey from Fox 32 who's going to join us on the show. She will discuss this and a variety of other topics as well. One of the things we've been discussing here just related to uh, talks about the game that took place yesterday and how folks were reacting to it all over the place between my alma mater, the Iowa Hawkeyes, the UConn Huskies, them on ABC7. I mean, just ABC everywhere. But here in Chicago, ABC7, national television audience, the game itself ended as expected. But it was really nice to see a couple of prominent programs and the two best young freshmen in the country doing battle on that stage. And a lot of the things that we've been talking about in leading into this stretch. I think a lot of things culminated in yesterday being a really, really cool event. So a couple of different things I want to talk to Caitlin Sharkey about. After we take a break here, we'll do that next. This is Chicago Sports Radio, 670 to score. And as a team, you know, you look at what you have. And, you know, not what you don't have. We don't have them, but we have other guys. It's not going to be an open spot. Somebody's going to play there. And we looked at all our pluses. You know, we have a great family feeling. And we're tough enough to deal with it. And we've got our other strengths. So for sure, nobody's, nobody's saying, oh, darn it. None of our opponents are saying, oh, what a bread break. They're all saying, happens to everybody, hang with it. So we're going to hang with it. Southside skipper Tony LaRusso. Reaction after the Aloha Jimenez injury. Became official as he left his pectoral muscle on the warning track there in spring training. So unfortunately, we won't see Jimenez out on the field for at least five, maybe six months. We'll see. Perhaps the uh, the exact amount of time may depend on whether or not the Sox are advancing in the MLB playoffs, but a lot of ball to be played between now and then. But they seem to be, as we're discussing things here between the text lines and reaction on social media, White Sox seem to be the team that everyone leans towards as far as the uh, the most hope, but it's been some submissions for the Blackhawks, even some bull submissions as well. So get the thoughts from uh, from my friend Caitlin Sharkey over at Fox 32, one of the most positive, one of the most hopeful people that has entered the Chicago sports media scene here in recent <laughs> years. She is on Twitter at K-Rose Sharkey. Sharkey, how are you? Good. Good to hear from you. It's good to catch up. It's been a long, it feels like it's been a long time, but I'm excited to chat with you today. <laughs> right, right. It has since the football season ended and Caitlin, not only at Fox 32, you're covering the Bears and all sports in town, but you actually see her uh, tonight hosting the Sports Zone on Fox 32, herself and Luke Canellis. They'll kind of trade off hosting duties for the Sports Zone. So you'll check her out there tonight at 10 o'clock. Am I, am I correct? Is it still 10 o'clock? Am I getting that right? Yes. 10 o'clock. Right, cool. 10 o'clock. Nice, very nice. And make sure you tune in to Fox 32, catch Caitlin on there tonight. But the discussion I've been having kind of off and on throughout the show centers around that just because there's, you know, these discussions tend to ebb and flow. And I feel like the White Sox, you know, five days ago would have been the obvious answer, the shoe-in answer. Who's everyone most hopeful about? All right, maybe the offseason didn't go exactly as some folks hoped, but there's no doubt White Sox, everyone is most hopeful amongst all the different 
potential hopeful storylines there. NFL drafts coming, Bears have a first-round pick. Bulls are wheeling and dealing, making things, splash moves for all-star centers. But the White Sox would have definitively led that discussion until the Eloy injury. So I'm just, I don't know. I don't know. What, what do you think makes sense as far as who, which fan base in the town should perhaps feel the most hopeful right now? Yeah, it's crazy to think about because, like you said, the White Sox obviously had that locked up, and I still think they do have the most hopeful season ahead and the most successful season ahead. Obviously, the Bulls did what they did, and I think the moves were fantastic for the team moving forward, but as we saw last night, it's not an insta-fix. Like, it's not going to make everything better with the Bulls. It's not like, I mean, these are great additions that they made and great changes. But like we saw last night, like you're still going to see the same similarities of the Bulls that have kind of plagued their troubles that have plagued them already this season. That's not going to fix it overnight. But I do think long term, they have more hope going forward. But I'm still with the White Sox. And as we listen to Tony LaRusso leading into this segment, Big Ant, the way that he kind of looked at like, okay, this is terrible news. You never want this to happen, especially for a player like Aloy Jimenez. But he also made it clear that we have other pieces and we have to focus on what we have. And if there's anything that can be said about Tony La Russa and his long tenured career and all of the things he's dealt with is the fact that he's lost big name players in inopportune moments and at the start of seasons, in the middle of seasons, at the end. And I think, you know, even listening to that press conference that day, him giving specific examples of like, I've been through this. I can, like, we can handle this. We're still a strong team. No one's going to feel sorry for us. And I think, that type of manager, when you have a devastating injury like this, can kind of show the clubhouse because it is a it's a it's a punch to the gut. Like you don't want to hear something like that as you're leaning up to opening day. But I think they still have the pieces. Like obviously he'll be missed um, in that position. It'll be interesting to see how the left field position plays out. His bat obviously will be missed. But I think if that's the role that they need to fix, I think there's enough talent on that team, and they still have out like outstanding set of arms on that team. So I think they'll be in good shape. And on, on the other side of town where the, the, the baseball discussion of both these teams has sort of been going in, in opposing paths for the last couple of years, but with the Cubs where at, at the start of the off season, we've been hearing the Ricketts family reportedly talking so much about, you know, trying to control finances. And of course all baseball teams lost money last year with the pandemic. So I really kind of thought the Cubs would tear the roster down even more than what they have so far. So I'm almost feeling like, you know, the Cubs certainly I don't have as high expectations for them this season as I do the White Sox. But to me, I almost feel like maybe Cubs fans should look at this and say, you know what, we still got Kyle Hendricks. We brought Jake Arrieta back. You know, we got Rowan Wick, who we feel great about, you know, between Rizzo and Bryant and, and Javi Baez. There's still a lot of guys who were key cogs in the World Series like Jason Hayward and also other people who've really shown some recent promise like Ian Happ. The Cubs seem like a team where I think Cubs fans can and perhaps should feel a little more hopeful at this point than maybe they thought they would have a few months back. Absolutely. And like the point that you just made, like I thought going into this season, we there was going to be a roster full of names that we were like, who? Like, where are the fan favorites? Where are the, you know, the huge playmakers? I was fully prepared. Everyone kept telling me this is going to be a rebuilding season for them. It's not going to be the same Cubs team. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And I still don't think they are on the trajectory of the White Sox as far as this season. But like you said, I don't think that you look at their roster and you're like, okay, and if they can get the pitching figured out and they figure out what works best for this rotation, even if it's including some younger guys, and they, like you said, they bring Arietta back, they still have the pieces, they have familiarity, 
if they can make that work, who knows? I feel like they're always a player in the NL Central. They're always a player in baseball, whether or not it's always pretty. They're always there at the end, even last season. So I think, I think the fans, I was a little worried, more worried going in. I'm like, man, this is this going to be this bad? But I don't, I don't think so. I mean, we're a week out, less than a week away from opening day, and you're looking at the roster and you're like, well, this isn't, shouldn't be too bad. Right. They got some guys. They still got some guys. You should expect mm-hmm. the Cubs to win some games this year. Continuing our discussion with Caitlin Sharkey. She is on Twitter at KRollSharkey. She of Fox 32 Sports. And, you know, the, the NFL draft is approaching. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're about a month away at this point. And the Bears have a first-round pick, and they signed a QB1. So, I mean, I don't know. Oh. Am I reaching a bit, thinking the Bears can be hopeful about something? I mean, I think once, yeah, the draft has to come and happen, and then yeah. we see how where the hope is going to go. Because if, if some major moves are made in the draft for the Bears, then I think the hope can be there. If the draft comes and goes, and it's just uh, they stay where they're at, and they just pick a piece that they think is good but not going to be an instant fix, and QB1 is QB1, as we've seen <laughs> on social media, I don't know. There are so many thoughts that have been running through my mind, big ants, and just be like, what are you thinking? Because I'm just, I don't know. I, we, we went back and forth all football season about, okay, okay, this is, this is it. And then the end of the season came. And now I think this draft is going to be so interesting for so many different teams um, and, and all the changes that are happening right now. And it's just an interesting time, I think. And I think we've really seen how social media has just been this weapon for players to – you know, make how they're feeling known. And there's been a lot of questions. And I think the hope, we cannot say there will be hope until the draft comes and goes. And continuing our discussion with Caitlin Sharkey on the SCORE Hotline, which is presented by Alpamani Ford. Alpamani Ford and Melrose Park on North Avenue or apford.com. And one of the things I discussed earlier in the show, Caitlin, I kind of came back to it a little bit, a few moments ago, and you, you've gotten to cover all sports at the professional and the amateur level, and you get to cover it from your perspective as a woman, just like with things, you know, mm-hmm. issues of race come up. And I, I get to cover things from my perspective as a black man in covering sports. I'm curious, I, I kind of hoped going into yesterday's matchup that, that I was really excited about between Iowa and UConn and women's hoops in the Sweet 16 because of a lot of what had played out in the media with the inequities we saw from the resources that went to the men's tournament versus the women's tournament, that perhaps yesterday would culminate in a way where where it could be, you know, almost sort of a a threshold or kind of a defining Mm -hmm. moment for us watching women's sports through a different lens and having things put on blast for why these great athletes don't get what they should. And I think yesterday, at least from my perception of, of what took place on social media, where a lot of folks were just enjoying the game and watching it play out and analyzing it in a way that I found really cool, I, I thought, you know, out, out of some negative coverage, I really felt like yesterday ended up being a net positive with folks watching and viewing a big game. Absolutely. And, it, I mean, it goes back to that cliche that no, you know, press is – there's no such thing as bad press. And, yes, it was bad in the, in the sense that it was kind of an exposing – the discrepancies and the unfair treatment and all of these things. But like you said, it drummed up so much more attention. And I saw so many more people tweeting about the UConn Iowa game, but also Michigan Baylor. I mean, it was such a fantastic game, especially because it went in overtime and it was just everyone making these huge plays down the stretch. 
I think all of the conversations that we've had in the last couple of weeks leading up to this women's tournament and now as it gets closer to the finals, I think and I hope, I hope that the numbers, the viewership will rise. And I think sometimes you have to have, as we saw this entire last year, sometimes you have to have uncomfortable conversations. Sometimes you have to see things that, you know, you pull back the curtain and you see, well, this isn't right. And this is an outrage. And, and, and I appreciated, I think, the response to it because it's like as I saw it starting from the infancy where, you know, people and friends in my circle were talking about it. And then all of a sudden the pictures and the videos took off and there was all this talk and then it was making progress. And now that that led to like more positive conversations of people commenting on the talent of these women and, and how good these teams are and how fun the games are to watch. I think that just speaks to that. It's trending in the right direction. I can only hope it stays that way. Um, they are fun games to watch. It's, it's an exciting time. Um, so sometimes, yeah, you got to look at the silver lining. Um, it hurts a little bit to look at when you pull back the curtain and see it is for what it really is. But I think we've, we've needed to do that more often than not in the last year. And I think this is just one of those examples. And one thing that, that struck me in, in thinking about, like, especially going into, because you referenced, like, having Michigan and Nas Hillman, she scored 50 points earlier in the season, but they take on the juggernaut of Baylor, take them to OT, they go mm-hmm. down. And from Iowa and UConn's perspective, the style of play there, and I think the popularity that Steph Curry has brought to the three ball and that James Harden has brought mm-hmm. to the step back, I think there are a lot more things from a highlight perspective where the men's game, it is akin to what we see in the women's game where, yeah, a lot of folks may go into it thinking, all right, if they're not dunking a basketball, then I'm not, I'm not really with it. But I do feel like the industry has begun to adjust as well where just showing like women's sports highlights isn't this, this thing that, you know, it almost looks like they're doing them a favor. It's just shown in the midst of sports highlights in general. And it, it doesn't feel like it's as forced as it once did. And I feel like the industry is beginning to make you know, some, some needed adjustments just in the coverage of the sports as well. Yeah, and I think we can all do, especially speaking from, like, my point of view as a media personality, it's when we're given such a lim- small amount of time, it's figuring out how to be creative with your time to mm-hmm. show these highlights. And you, as, like you were talking about, it doesn't, not like, it was a perfect example watching the Loyola game yesterday. Was that, was that a flashy performance? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Was that a flashy high, like, fast pace, high energy necessarily to make scoring a ton of baskets and dunks. No, it was the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. Someone argued that was an incredibly boring game to watch, but people yeah. still watched it. So it's like, you can't even make that argument anymore. And, you know, I, I'm grateful that some of these players and these um, male athletes have made it more of an effort to kind of commend these women on their achievements or even posting a highlight or just to kind of get it out there. The more eyes that are on it, I think people will realize because you cannot say that, oh, they're not exciting to watch, not entertaining to watch, because I watched every minute for work purposes of that Loyola game (laughs) yesterday, and I love the Ramblers. But I was not sitting there thinking, wow, this is the most entertaining game of basketball I've ever watched. So it's like that excuse needs to go so far out the window when it comes to Uh, women's sports. I don't even want to hear it anymore. No doubt about it. Not nearly as aesthetically pleasing as the Iowa-Yukai game (laughs) or the Michigan-Baylor game. Could not agree more. Sharky, as always, really appreciate it. Glad we could catch up here on the air for folks to listen to. But, yes, Yes. looking forward to more coverage on Fox 32, which is this coming football season also. Awesome. Thanks. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on, Big Ant.
You got it, Caitlin. That is Caitlin Sharkey of Fox 32. She is on Twitter at K Rose Sharkey. Make sure you watch her tonight after the Fox News at 9 ends. You will see her on the Sports Zone at 10 o'clock as well. What a transition here. Let's shift to, to some more detailed baseball discussion. The Eloy Jimenez injury was obviously one that dominated the sports discussion, not just here in Chicago, but baseball discussion at large because of his talents, what he means potentially to this talented White Sox lineup. Uh, Bruce Levine and David Haw had Chris Getz on Inside the Clubhouse yesterday. I want to play a little bit of that audio back for you, and I want to react to just give you some more of my thoughts on where things sit, because I do feel like folks are letting Eloy skate in this situation a little bit more than I would in evaluating. We'll do that at the top of the following hour right here on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 